If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have an interview with Bourne Morris, a good friend who didn't write her first novel, The Red Queen's Run, until after she retired. She got an agent and got it published, and has just now come out with her fourth novel, A Woman of Two Minds. She retired right when I started my job as a professor at the School of Journalism at the University of Nevada, and I took over her office. Through mutual friends and interests, we became friends, and she's a real inspiration to me. It is never too late to start something new, and I want all of you to remember that. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Thanks for being here today with me, Bourne. Thank you for asking me, Mignon. Yeah, we're more used to talking uh, over lunch than we are doing an interview, but uh, you have such an exciting life and so much to teach people about writing a novel that, that I thought the audience would love to hear from you. So you have just published your fourth novel, correct? Correct. Wonderful. Yes. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you started writing novels, publishing them, particularly quite late in life, after you actually retired from your position at, as a professor at the University of Nevada in Reno, right? Uh, actually, writing novels became my third career because I spent 20 years in advertising, and then uh, I, I managed an agency, and then I came up to uh, Nevada, and I was hired as a professor in the school of in the Reynolds School of Journalism, and I did 26 years there, and then I started writing books at, when I retired in 2009. And did you always want to write novels, or was this some an idea that came to you sort of middle or later in life? I wrote. I think I wrote something uh, when I was in fourth grade. I, as I recall, it was a play I was writing with some other people, and I've always uh, liked writing. I wrote. I did, tried to do my senior thesis in college in po in my own poetry, uh, which was never very good, I have to say. And then I would have ideas for novels all through my working career, but it was hard to find time to do much. I did find time to write an earlier version of the book I just published, uh, but it wasn't very good. It was 500 pages that didn't work. So I, I sort of ash-canned that and then went back to the story that I wanted to write uh, a few years ago and just published it this month. And that's a story we hear from a lot of writers, that the first draft of the first novel is yeah. horrible. Yes. And I think a lot of people take comfort in knowing that that's a common experience. Um, so that book is now your fourth book that you published. You published three, and then you came back to that first Then time. I came—yes, I, I wrote three other books that were published, and they were academic mysteries. And I think the experience of writing those three books may have helped me figure out how to write this fourth book, which is the one that's been in my mind for 25 years. Great. And, and that book is called A Woman of Two Minds. Um, if someone has a you know, gift card burning a hole in their pocket, uh, tell the listeners um, what, what that new book is about, the, A Woman of Two Minds. It's about two women 
and two survivors. Uh, one woman is an older woman who is the CEO of a big company, and she's in a terrible automobile accident. And the second woman is a young woman of 23 who uh, attempts to commit suicide and has a terrible experience in her childhood. And a doctor comes to the older woman and says, I can save your mind and your memory if you will allow me to transplant part of your brain into the body of this young woman whose brain has been damaged by her suicide attempt. And the older woman agrees. And the young woman wakes up uh, after lots of recovery, and she is a young woman in a young woman's body, but the older woman's mind absolutely dominates her, all of her thoughts and feelings, and all of her memories. And as the book progresses, the younger woman's memories begin to come back. But what happens is the younger woman is arrested for shooting her own mother, and she's put on trial, and the prosecutor finds out about this operation, and the prosecutor is convinced that it's this operation that led the young woman to commit homicide, and he's about to prove it, and that's the story. The whole story is framed in the trial of this younger woman whose name is Kit McKenzie, and yet the older woman, whose name is Maggie Carlson, dominates the younger woman throughout much of the book. So is this brain swapping, is it um, sort of a science fiction story, or is it more of sort of a medical mystery story? It's, it's, it's probably more of a medical mystery, uh, because I got my scientific information from a neuroscientist who was kind enough to help me imagine how brain surgery of this kind might really happen, what would happen if you tried to do this, and how long it would take to recover from it. And I tried to make it sound as authentic as possible so that although it is science fiction, it isn't that far from what we might be able to do someday. Neat. Yeah. So I know your first three books, the Red Queen series, yeah. were inspired by your experiences in administration at the university for all those years. And um, I'm wondering if this new book, um, if there was anything in your life that, that sort of informed or inspired this work. Well, I think running a company uh, uh, for uh, several years in California inspired the character of Maggie, who uh, is is uh, very good at what she does and very bright. And then it inspires the, the incipient character of Kit, who begins to learn how to run a big company and becomes quite famous at it. And at the time of her arrest for murder is the head of a Fortune 500 company, uh, actually an international company. The other, the other inspiration is when I was running a company in California, I went to a restaurant one day, and I looked around the room at the number of older women who'd had a lot of work done. And I wondered at that time what a woman would, would be willing to sacrifice to have a younger face and a younger body. And that was the genesis of this story because I couldn't shake it. I kept writing various versions of it until finally I got to the one that was published this 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 time. Great. So you had this idea for a novel, and you had sort of been thinking about stories for many years, and then you were getting closer to retirement. So what steps did you take to begin life as a writer, your third act? Uh, the third act began when, when I—right after I retired, um, I decided— 
I, I still needed some experience and some skill writing fiction. I had had written a lot of other things in the meanwhile, but I didn't hadn't hadn't really mastered the fiction part. And I took a class at UNR from a wonderful creative writer named Chris Koch. And it was in Chris's class that I wrote a, a, a very uh, major scene from this book. And I took that scene in to that class and um, he gave me a lot of help on it. And it was also wonderful sitting with other writing students. And uh, this was in the English department. And so that was, that was a, a great course for me to take. And I recommended it to several other people who want to write a book, but are sort of struggling with the idea of it. And it's a particularly good class for people who are interested in fiction or graphic novels. So you didn't just wing it on your own. You found no, some support. No. I had some support. I had some criticism. And uh, after I, I had finished that course, I sat down and wrote the other three books first. I wrote the, the Red Queen series first, got those published, went through that experience, and then went back to this book and finally got it to the point where I liked it. Great. Well, one reason I wanted to talk to you is I think a lot of people say that if you didn't write a novel, you know, in the first 60 years of your life, 70 years of your life, you're not going to later, you're not going to do it when you retire, that if you're serious about writing, you're going to write, writers write. And I hear this over and over again, and and I find it annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only part uh, uh, that I agree with is that writers write. Um, you know, I, I've been writing since fourth grade. And uh, I think there's a tendency to write, and I kept a lot of the stuff that I had written in college and then ultimately got rid of it because it wasn't very good. And I did try to write this book 25 years ago, and that didn't work. So writers do keep on writing, but I don't, I don't know that you can't start a career as a novelist at any time. I mean, I think there are some wonderful books that have been written by people in their 70s and 80s. And uh, sometimes your best writing comes when you're older. Right. So what advice do you have for people who have maybe been thinking about writing for a long time and suddenly, for whatever reason, they, they retired, they got laid off, their kids are out of the house, they find themselves with some more time, you know, and they're thinking maybe now's the time. Um, how, do you, how do you sort of well, I, I would say if you if you have a book you want to write, write your book. Um, the late Mike Land, who was a wonderful writer, once said, "Have have your baby, plant your garden, write your book." <laughs> uh, you should do what you really want to do, and if if you have the time to do it, uh, I would say sit down, start to write. Um, you may want to do an outline. Uh, I never do, uh, although I always know how the book ends. I just don't always know what's going to happen in the middle. And the other piece of advice I would give is what I used to tell my students, which is write it. Write it with all the mistakes, spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes. Write it with factual errors. Just write it from beginning to end and then go back and start to edit. Don't stop and edit every, every day when you're writing because you'll never get it finished. I mean, there are a lot of writers who have a first uh, chapter or first two chapters in their bottom drawer, and they keep rewriting the same two chapters, and they never get the book written. Oh, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've written some wonderful books, <laughs> I feel called out. <laughs> My fiction is in the drawer. Two chapters, rewritten 20 times. <laughs> well, just write it till the end of the book and then go back and fix it. <laughs> Do you, are you part of a writer's group now? You know, you sounded like the class was really good well, for the you. Well, cla- the class was great, and I would love to be part of a writer's group, uh, Regrettably, I don't drive anymore, so that's made me a uh, that's limited me a little bit in my ability to just tootle around about town and and meet with writers groups. But I know a, a, a few Nevada writers, and so we get together once in a while. and And I I have wonderful readers for my books. Readers are very important, and uh, I do see them often, and I depend upon them to read the book and tell me what's weak and what's inaccurate and uh, what doesn't work for them. That's great. And how do you structure your day? You know, I, I know if you don't have a job, if you don't have stuff going on, sometimes the day can just get away from you. Um, do you do you struggle with keeping on a schedule or is it just easy for you? How does that work? Um, when I know I'm going to write, I start writing at one o'clock in the afternoon and I write straight through until four or five in the afternoon. About four or five hours is about as much writing as I can do in a day. That leaves the morning for reading the New York Times and drinking a lot of coffee, and it's not too rigorous a schedule. Uh, but then there are other days, particularly after I finished a book, uh, where I just don't write at all. I kind of let it soak. Um, I read. I read a lot of other books because I think for writers, the most important thing we do is read other people's writing. And so I do a lot of that. Uh, but my schedule is every, every afternoon, when I'm trying to get the book done and I give myself uh, a deadline, uh, that's what I do every afternoon. And I think another thing people often wonder is, for that first book especially, how did you find your publisher? You know, what, what was that like? Well, first I found an agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it, it took me about a year to find an agent who was genuinely interested in the, in this case, it was the three academic mysteries, the Red Queen mysteries. And uh, I found one and she liked it. And then she sold it to the, to the publisher of that series. And how did you find your agent? I found her by talking to people and uh, I, I, I talked to uh, teachers. I talked to uh, other writers and I, Somebody said, you ought to really get to know Kimberly Cameron, and I uh, sent her my stuff, and she liked it, and so we've been together since then. That's great. And are you working on a new book now? I have one on the hard drive, but I haven't been working on it. I've been taking a little time off and working on getting this book sold and thinking about the next one. Yeah, no, it's a lot of work promoting a book and making sure, once you've written it, you still have to make sure everyone knows about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So let's make sure they know about it. That book is called A Woman of Two Minds by Bourne Morris, B-O-U-R-N-E. You know, I have an unusual name, and so do you. How did you get your name? It's a family name. My, 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 there was a, a man named uh, uh, Bourne who was uh, in, in Massachusetts many centuries ago, and he started a big family. And it's always been given to a man until I came along, and then it was given to me. And my grandmother did not approve. <laughs> ah, that's wonderful. Well, you've been breaking the glass ceiling. Weren't you the first woman to run um, the West Coast office of Ogilvy and Mather? I was, and I was one of the first two women to run an advertising agency that came up through the corporate ranks. 
Yeah. And that was, but that was back in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. That's amazing. Yeah. My name's a family name too. My mm. great great grandmother's favorite flower was the mignonette. So. Ah. <laughs> well, thank you, Born, for being here with me today. Again, the book is A Woman of Two Minds, and check it out. It sounds really great. Thank you very much, Mignon. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me at the home of my podcast network, quickanddirtytips.com. And thank you to my producer, Nathan Sams. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.